Welcome to Downton. Hello there. Emma speaking. Welcome to Shall We Go Through, the Downton Abbey fan podcast. What? 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 Hi guys. I hope you're all doing well. I am so happy to be here with you today because I love this episode. I told you last week that it kind of breaks my heart and it's true because it is a sad episode, but not as sad as the ones that are coming. And I really love this episode. So, um, yeah, I'm not going to make a really long introduction because, well, nothing has changed. No, we're still in August. It's still very hot and I am still waiting for autumn and winter. So that hasn't changed. So let's just talk about episode three of season three of Downton Abbey that I called the one where Edith is being tested. So let's start, shall we? Like last week, I'm going to start with Anna and Bates. But this time, Anna and Bates are not in a scene together. So it's a change because usually, usually every scene where we see Bates or almost everyone in this season is like Bates talking to Anna when she comes to visit him in prison. But this time, Anna, she's going out because she found Mrs. Bartlett. If you remember last episode, she sent letters to everybody in the address book that she found, but two letters were returned because apparently it was the wrong address and one of them was Mrs. Bartlett. And Bates told her that she was a friend of Vera's. So she said that she will find her. And so, well, I told you that if she says she will find her, she will find her, but well, definitely she found her. So she comes to see her and she has brought money. And so, Anna, she just says that she wants to know if she said anything like the day before she died or, she, or if she saw her the, the day she died. She is looking for information and proof that Bates didn't kill her. This Mrs. Bartlett told her that she came to see her the day she died, where the day Bates came for tea. And apparently she was cooking and she said that then she had to post a letter and she told her that Bates was supposed to come and that she was terrified and stuff. At first, Anna, she doesn't really realize that what Miss Butler says is actually the proof that Bates is innocent. But if you put everything together, we know that Vera posted a letter. And in this letter, because Bates has read it, it was written that she was afraid for her life. So we know that that must be the letter she posted after she cooked whatever she was cooking. You know, because she said she wanted to post a letter, so she came to post a letter. So this must be the letter. So she planned this. And then she was cooking when this Miss Bartlett came in. So she was cooking the pie where she put the poison in to kill herself. So actually, if she cooked the pie when this Mrs. Bartlett was here, so that means this is the proof that the pie was already cooked when Bates came in. So technically, that kind of proves that he's not guilty. But anyway, I like this scene because we have the vision of someone that is a friend. And obviously, as a friend, She's sad that she's dead and she thinks that Bates did it. I mean, I said it. Everything points to him. So obviously the fact that Bates was not set, sentenced to death, she's not happy about it. But what I'm not completely sure is when Anna told her she wanted to speak to her, I think she didn't say that she was Bates' new wife because I don't think she would have spoken to her. You know what I mean? Like It's the way she talks to Anna. I do not believe she thinks knows that she's Bates' new wife. But I mean, at this time, I don't think that she knows that what she just said to Anna is actually the proof that Bates is innocent. But anyway, it's kind of complicated. I hope uh, it wasn't too confusing what I just said. And just to stay with Anna before going back to Bates, there's a sweet scene between Anna and Daisy at the end of the episode after the non-wedding. Let's just say it that way. Daisy, you know, last episode we saw that Daisy, she... We felt like she kind of liked Alfred, you know. And she talks with Anna and she asks her what does she think about women saying what they think, you know, being being more open. And Anna says, well, the world is changing, you know. Like, women, we, we get the vote, like, soon enough. So I think it's good to maybe start to be more open and say more what you think. But then she says... With most of the men I've ever met, if you started to court them, they'd be so terrified they'd run a mile. And I love the fact that she says that because more open than Anna, I don't think we have, like right now. <laughs> because if you remember in season one, episode five, if I'm not mistaken, when they are going to the flower show, she literally told him, I love you, Mr. Bates. <laughs> and he didn't run a mile. 
So most men she ever met, except Fate, obviously. But I like it. I thought it was really funny. And I like it because then Alfred comes in the kitchen and Daisy looks at him. And we know she likes him. But Anna, she noticed the look. So yeah, it was just really funny and sweet scene. But then Bates, so who's still in jail, in a scene where the prisoners are in the yard and they're walking in circle, one man comes to warn him and tell him to check his room because apparently his cellmate is trying to set him up for something. You know, the cellmate that even Bates said that he didn't really like him. So then you see Bates searching his bed and he finds something. He finds drug. And then, surprise, surprise, the guard comes to search the room. I mean, I say surprise, surprise, because obviously they chose the moment where if Bates hasn't found the drug, the drug would have been found in his bed. So we realize that, yes, his cellmate wanted to set him up with the um, complicity of a guard. But Bates, when the guard arrives, he still has a drug in his head and he managed to hit it in the wall behind him. And you see that the guy, he's really surprised when they say they found nothing because he was supposed to find something. So we know that's not the end of that because you see that they're not really pleased that they didn't manage to set Bates up. So yeah, not the end. Bananas. Then, if you remember last episode, we talked about Isabel and her new occupation. Her new occupation was to help women who has fallen over, well, prostitutes, to rebuild their lives. And once Ethel came to the center, but then she left. In this episode, Isabel is in the center and she teaches the women how to sew. And Ethel is back. And Isabel, she says, it's good for you to be back, you know, I could help you. And Ethel said, well, I'm not sure you will want to help you if not where I am. Like, I'm past help. And Isabel just said, oh, if you, if you are saying that you are a prostitute, well, you know, all the other women are too. But she says that so casually, like it's nothing. And you see that Ethel, she's like, <laughs> did she just use that word? Because really, she says that, like she's saying, I don't know, like she's talking about the weather. But then Ethel says that she doesn't want help, but not for herself. So obviously, you understand that she wants help for her son. But in the end, she leaves again. And so at the moment, Isabel, she comes down in the servants' quarters to talk to Mrs. Hughes about Ethel. And she asks her if she has an address for Ethel. So again, you know, Isabel, she, when she has an idea in her head, she has to go until the end, you know. So now she's not going to let it go until she has managed to help Ethel because that's what she wants to do. So we know again that this is not the end. Bananas. Again, remember last episode, some shirts went missing. So it was O'Brien who got her revenge, you know, because Thomas, because of him, Alfred, he burned a hole in Matthew's tail. And so then Alfred, he was not Matthew's valet anymore. So to get back at Thomas, she, she hid Robert's dress shirt. And so in this episode, O'Brien, she teases Thomas about the shirt. She says, oh, I hope you have all your shirts ready for tonight. And Thomas says that he actually has hidden some of them to make sure that this will never happen again. <laughs> but Thomas, obviously, he wants revenge. He talks with Mr. Mosley. And apparently, Mr. Mosley, he said that his friend's daughter is looking for a place as a lady's maid. And Thomas says, well... I can tell you something, but you must not say anything because Mr. Brian doesn't want it known. And so then when the family is in the library, mostly he wants to speak to Cora. And it's really funny because when he comes into the library and he wants to speak, he just realizes that he's in the middle of all the family. Like they're all here except Edith. But so he asks Cora um, if he can put forward a candidate for O'Brien's replacement. Obviously, Cora, she's surprised. Like, what? at this moment when he says that Robert was at his desk doing I don't know what and then he turns around he's like O'Brien's leaving like isn't this like the best news I had since Matthew and Mary got married <laughs> and so then he actually gets up he's like oh this is interesting so Cora she's surprised and mostly he was kind of surprised because he feels oh, maybe they didn't know Cora she pretends that she knows obviously to not embarrass mostly and she's that, yes, she we're happy to hear about his candidate when the time comes. And then Robert, actually, you see, he tries to have a poker face. 
or maybe just me imagining it, but I feel like you could see a tiny, tiny smile on his face. Like, oh my God, if she leaves, it's like the best thing ever. And <laughs> he says, Well, I must confess, I will watch her departure with mixed emotions. Mine are fairly unmixed. But you realize that, well, of course, she's not well right now. She said, my maid is really living without telling me about it. And Sybil, because she's obviously the sweetest and the best, realizes that her mother is a bit, like, not sad, but I think shocked by the news. So, well, didn't you have a clue that she was living? And Cora's like, no. But I just love how Robert and Mary are like, yes, please, can she leave? Because no one likes her. And so then Cora, she tries to make O'Brien tell her that she wants to leave. They're in her room. And she tries to say to you, you know, do you, you have something to say to me? And Brian's like, what am I supposed to say to you? And even then when Robert comes and says, have you, has she given you reasons? Like, no, she didn't say anything. And about this scene, because the first few times I've watched this episode, I always wonder why at the moment Cora is looking in the mirror, but like at her profile. And actually <laughs> it's because O'Brien, she was sewing her dress. So she actually checked where she just sewed her dress. I just realized that. And it's really funny because obviously I saw that and I was thinking about all the fics I have read and the things that are going around in the Cobert fandom about dresses that need to be sewed because um, <clears throat> terrific fun. And she does wear this dress a lot. So um, yeah, I was thinking this is the Happy Note dress, but she wore it actually last episode. But yeah, I just thought about that, that she was actually sewing her dress. So yeah, anyway, just me. I remember I was watching it and my mind just went crazy. Okay, that's my brain because I spent too much time reading things and now I'm corrupted by the COVID fandom. So I can't really think straight, I think. Anyway, and before going for their picnic, when Carson talks to Kuraba uh, Mrs. Hughes, we're going to talk about that after, she mentions O'Brien. So how will we manage without O'Brien and Mrs. Hughes? It costs like what O'Brien, what is it with O'Brien? But she doesn't have the time to say it because she needs to go. And there were a couple of deleted scenes where Karashi tries to know if O'Brien is living and why. Because a moment when they are at the picnic, she asks Alfred if, she, if he knows anything about his aunt leaving. And then another time, she asks again O'Brien something about like, you know, like she said, do you want to say something to me? Like, so she tried to like, tell me. But then, so in the servants hall, it's Carson who asked O'Brien what is all this about? And O'Brien obviously doesn't know what it is. And Moses is like, well, you are leaving, right? And it's like, uh, please. And what I love is when he says that, everyone just stops. You no, know, Anna, she's like, she's sipping her tea. And when like, she turns her head like, what? Really, everything stops. Everyone's like, O'Brien is leaving? And when she is furious, and I can't understand it, because now you have Cora who thinks, who's really disappointed in O'Brien because she thinks that she wants to leave without telling her. You know, the relationship would be altered. No, it's not that they had the best relationship ever, but you know what I mean. And, well, it's not true. <laughs> Mosley, I mean, poor Mosley, I mean, his face. And of Daisy, when Daisy, she says to him, you're in the soup. Home being a bad books for a gold clock. I mean, really poor Mosley. And then so O'Brien is with Cora and O'Brien tells her that she is not leaving and that she didn't say anything to Mosley. Obviously, Cora should say, maybe you said something that he must have misinterpreted. O'Brien's like, well, I have, I do not speak to him at all. Like, <laughs> I don't know what he must have misinterpreted because I do not speak to him. And you see that Cora, she's, she feels a bit let down, like really. First time that she feels let down by O'Brien. I mean, it's, it's time, girl. I mean, Cora, I love you, but it, you know what? <laughs> At this point, I would have been like Robert, like, oh my God, is she leaving? Please. <laughs> well, she's not leaving. But then Mosley, he wants to apologize. Say, well, I I'm so sorry, but... Say, like, but why did you make that up? Say, I didn't make that up. Someone told me. Say, who? Mr. Barrow. He's like, okay, don't worry. I knew it was not your fault, okay? Obviously, she's angry at Thomas. And she comes to say to him, or she comes to warn him, tell him that she will get her revenge. Which is quite funny because then now Thomas and O'Brien are like Mary and Edith in season one. You know, one always had to do something. Like they can't stop. I said once at the moment, you just have to say, okay, I'm stopping this war because it's stupid. 
where no because Thomas tallied it with Alfred or maybe O'Brien tallied it with because she has brought Alfred to the house but you know and O'Brien did something with the shirts then Thomas did something by saying that O'Brien wants to leave so you know at the moment this like ping pong game needs to stop but apparently not now and well apparently O'Brien's not leaving well not now anyway bananas now let's talk about mrs hughes because last episode she thought she might be ill which is very sad because we do not want mrs hughes to be ill and you know she had tests and she was now waiting for the results and at the beginning of the episode she talked with mrs patmore and she said that she has no news of the doctor and when they talk about that carson he hears it and you see that he's worried because he, he said something about doctory stuff and he's like, oh my God, what is happening? So Carson, he comes to talk to Dr. Clarkson because he wants to know, he understood that she's not well, but he wants to know what he can do to help Mrs. Hughes. And he wants to know if it's serious or not. And Clarkson said, well, I don't know yet, but even if I did, I couldn't tell you. And you know, she said that she needs to work a bit less. And <laughs> Clarkson even said to Mrs. Hughes, put your feet up, which obviously she can't do because they all rely on her you know at downtown like without her they're lost without her they all fall to pieces and then Carson he talks to Mrs. Papmore about it and Mrs. Papmore she well he doesn't really say what Dr. Clarkson told him Mrs. Papmore she's a bit annoyed because she said well the doctor should not have told you that she might be ill you know she won't be happy about it but then actually Carson, he never said anything. But then he has the confirmation that Mrs. Hughes might be ill. And obviously when they think ill, they think about cancer. So they say it is cancer. And Mrs. Papmore said, we don't know it yet because we're waiting for the results. Mrs. Hughes would not be happy that the doctor told you. And Carson tells him, he didn't tell me, Mrs. Papmore. You told me. And so Mrs. Papmore, she feels a bit bad because she's like, oh my God. Because she didn't want it to tell him and Mrs. Hughes didn't want it Carson to know. So she's a bit embarrassed because, well, she said it without really saying it. So, yeah. And then Carson, because last episode, Carson, Mrs. Hughes was not feeling well. And Carson, he was like, oh, hands on deck, you can rest later, all that. And now Carson, he's worried, Mrs. Hughes. Then there was a change in the men in the wedding menu, so Mrs. Hughes, she had to do her job. And Carson, he was like, well, I don't want you to get tired. And obviously, Mrs. Hughes is like, what? Because Carson is the first one to say, okay, everything needs to be proper and everything needs to be perfect. And now he says, I want you to get tired. Like, can you get someone to do your job? And she's like, uh, what? Who have you been talking to? Because he's very um, subtle. You know, Carson is the master of subtlety. And so obviously he acts like, I don't know what you mean. Like, he acts weird. And so, like I said, before Cora gets in the car to go to the picnic, Carson wants to speak to her about Mrs. Hughes. And he tells her that she might be ill and she might be very ill. He says he doesn't want the wedding to sink her. So he asks her if some of her workload could get to him. Cora, she's, she's at that moment, she's like, of course, like she understands. And she says, but how would we manage without O'Brien and not Mrs. Hughes? But then there's a scene that it's one of my favorite scenes of well, this episode of the show. Cora, just after she talked to O'Brien about, you no, know, she might have said something that Mosley misinterpreted. Mrs. Hughes comes in Cora's room because Cora has sent for her. And so she just tells her that she has heard that she is not well. And so at first, Mrs. Hughes, she thought that Dr. Clarkson said anything because, you know, Dr. Clarkson said that he could speak to her ladyship about uh, lessening her workload, but Mrs. didn't want to. And Cora says, no, it wasn't Dr. Clarkson. So Mrs. Hughes said, well, I don't know if I'm ill right now. I had tests. I'm waiting for the results. So, you know, it's not confirmed. But then Cora, being one of the sweetest person in the world, she says, Mrs. Hughes, I only want to say one thing, that if you are ill, you are welcome here for as long as you want to stay. Lady Sybil will help us to find a suitable nurse. I don't want you to have any concerns about where you'll go or who'll look after you because the answer is here and we will. I don't know what to say, Melita. There isn't anything more to say until we know where we stand one way or the other. Thank you. I absolutely love this scene because right now they are in the middle of the crisis in downtown about the staff and they have to let people go. 
But Cora the first thing she says that we will take care of you. And this is just it's just so nice and sweet. And you see how Mrs. She didn't expect it that at all. The scene ends with her being teary eyed, like she didn't expect it that. And it makes me think about when Robert told Mrs. Papel that they are going to send her to see a nice specialist because they wanted her to get better. And this is actually the same, like, yeah, the nicest people ever. Like, it's just so sweet. And then Mrs. Yushi asks him if he said anything to her ladyship. And then she says that she was touched. And she even says, you know, I don't worship them all like you do, but I was really touched. And I don't know, this is really sweet. But then before the wedding... Obviously, Mrs. Yushi wants to go to the wedding. Mr. Cass is like, are you sure you want to go? Like, it's not too complicated. And she's like, she's getting angry. She's like, you know what? I'm not even sure that I'm ill. So I would love if people would wait to know that if I am ill before, you know, like treating me like I'm a China doll. And Carson is like, Ines? I, I don't know anything about any Ines. You're like, okay, Carson, like I said, subtlety, not really his thing. And I love it because... Obviously, she's like, well, who told him? And Mrs. Papa was like, I don't know. Maybe he just picked it up because, well, actually, I told him a bit, but I thought he knew, like, it's a bit complicated. And Mrs. Hughes said, well, he's a hopeless liar. <laughs> well, true. I just love how he acts like, I don't know anything about any illness. Like, what? <laughs> Me? I changed my attitude. Like, no. And then Mrs. Hughes says to Mrs. Papa that the doctor told her that he will have the results the next day. And so the next day, Mrs. is getting ready to go to the doctor. And you see Carson, he's really worried. And she goes to the hospital with Mrs. Papmore. And then for a moment, they wait outside the hospital. And Mrs. Hughes says, well, I won't be cured by standing here. So let's go. And then, well, they come back. And Carson, he comes to speak with Mrs. Papmore. He's like, so is it, isn't it? And it's not cancer. So we're happy. Apparently, it was just a benign thing. So we're happy. And then when Carson says, but don't say anything, she doesn't know that I know. <laughs> oh god, I just love it because obviously Mrs. Hughes, she knows that he knows, you know. And so yeah, you know when Mrs. Hughes asked Mrs. Papmo, so did you tell him? And Mrs. Papmo said, I would prefer to say I put him out of his misery. And then we hear Carson singing because he's really happy. And he's singing, dashing away with a smoothing iron. She stole my heart away. And Mrs. Hughes, she hears him and she sees him so happy. And we're happy and we're glad because, you know, I mean, come on. Because if we didn't get it that right now, that Carson is smitten with Mrs. Hughes, well, now we know. I love it how he's so happy, but that all the episode he pretends that he doesn't know. And then in the end, he's just so happy because she's not ill and just, oh, this is so nice. And I'm really happy because I love Mrs. Hughes. Now, let's talk about the money. Not the money that Robert lost. Like, I mean, we got it. You know, that Robert lost the money. But the money that Matthew will inherit because he's Reggie Squire's heir, but that he doesn't want to use. And you know, Mary and Matthew are fighting over this. They almost didn't get married because of that. So, yeah. Because right now, since Matthew doesn't want to use it, they will sell Downton. And so where they're in the library, Cora, she asks Robert how they will advertise the house. And then Tom asks, where will they go? Because yes, that's the question. Apparently he has a house not far, some tennis are here, but maybe they can find an arrangement that will please everybody and they can live there. I don't know. And then when they have this talk about O'Brien might be leaving, Robert, he says, when will we tell the staff that it's almost the end? <laughs> And Mary, obviously, she's downcast. But Robert's like, well, this is the end. We need to say something to them. And when he says that, you know, when, when we tell the staff that the end is nigh, he takes Cora's hand. But I love how he reaches for it. Now, Cora is sitting. He, he's standing next to her. He holds out his hand so she can take it. Like, this is so sweet. And before you ask me, this was not in the script book. So oh, almost all the little affection gestures are not in the script book. And this is so sweet. Like when he takes her hand, like, oh. And then Mary, she says that they will tell the staff after the wedding to not support Edith Day. Which I thought was really nice of Mary. Because we know Mary and Edith, they had this school. So it's nice of her to not want to support her day. And Matthew, he says to Mary that Squire's lawyer is coming. He wants to bring the death certificate of the other heir 
that proves that Matthew is really the heir. And they fight again. And to be honest, at that moment, I'm quite fed up with Matthew. I'm not going to lie. I understand his reasons, truly. But I don't know. I really understand Mary. Because I think it's not just the, I'm going, well, it's going to lose my home, which obviously it's hard for her. But I think it's the whole, maybe it's just me, because I do not believe that she is that selfish to only think about her. I really believe that she's still thinking about her father, because just imagine the reputation of Robert after that, when they were set at Downton. Like, you know, the heir who dropped the torch, the failure and all that. So, yeah. And then, so when the lawyer is coming... Matthew, he actually, he receives a letter from Swire. So Swire wrote, wrote a letter for all his heirs and Matthew got it because he's the heir. And so they all actually, so the picnic was Cora's idea to go to this area home where they might live if they say Downton. It's just to go there, you know, to see where they might live. And so the lawyer, he came just before them going away for the picnic. Then Matthew, he says to Mary, it's half for your grandmother. Matthew, it's torture for all of us. And if I ever look as if I'm finding it easy to lose my home, then I am putting on an act. And I believe it's true that it's hard for everybody. But the ones that are the most affected about that are Mary and Robert. Because Cora, she's said already that she, you know, it's not that she doesn't care, but she's like, you know, it's not the end of the world for her. Edith, well, Edith, she's going to marry Stralens. Technically, she will have her own estate. Sybil, she lives with Benson in Dublin, so it's okay. Isabel, well, she wants a more simple life, so she doesn't, she's not, like, shocked by the fact that they might leave the Abbey or something. I think Violet would be a bit affected, but she's not a sentimentalist. Like, I, one day she would just accept the fact that, okay, uh, but she doesn't live at the Abbey anymore, so it's, I think it's really hard for Robert and Mary. And so then, <laughs> we said, the staff, they don't know that they will sell Downton. And so, since they're doing a picnic, it's only Alfred who's coming with them. And Carson, he makes sure before everybody's leaving that Alfred knows what he's supposed to do. And so Alfred's like, where are we going? And Carson said, well, it's one of, these, of his lordship's houses. But he said, I don't really know why they want to go there now. Obviously, when you have a wedding the next day, you're like, it's a bit weird. But anyway. And I just love when they all get out to go in the car. So obviously, Mary and Matthew... Matthew has his own cast that go into it. And Mary, she asks Edith, do you want to come with us? And you see then in the car, you have Matthew's driving and Mary and you have Edith in the back. But it's only because I believed, I thought it was only a two-seat car. Apparently not, because I thought where would Edith be seated? But I love the fact that Mary, she asks Edith, she wanted to come with them. Like it feels like, oh, you know, not like, like they buried the hatchet, you know. So if it's nice. And about this picnic, something that I thought... <laughs> And actually, Julia made a comment about it. <laughs> so I'm going to read it to you. The point we make here is that it doesn't really occur to Robert that it might be inconvenient for the people to whom the house has been let that 20 strangers would turn up and have lunch on the lawn. In those moments, we do show that, however nice Robert is and however much he's trying to be modern, there is still an assumption of droit de seigneur that goes pretty deep. Because even I thought, just imagine, did they told the people that were there that they were going to, you know, show up on the lawn? And, uh, wait, well, it was Cora's idea, but yeah. So apparently, like uh, Julian says, he doesn't see why it would be strange or inconvenient. Um, but yeah, I just thought it was uh, quite fun, this uh, comment, because I did believe about that. You just imagine if the people are here and they're looking at the window and they're like, who is on the lawn? Like, what? Anyway. And so they're all there, and Cora actually tries to stay positive. But Mary and <laughs> Robert, they're downcast. Even Sybil and Tom, they try to cheer them up, you know, because Mary's like, wouldn't it be a bit cramped? And Tom's like, well, you know that for most people, this is a fairy palace, like this is huge, which is true. And Sybil's like, well, you'd be able to run it with much uh, smaller staff, like, almost to say that, you know, it's, um, it's a good thing. And was like, well, it would be very economical because we only have maybe eight people. And I just love Vyra say, and me? Where am I to go? Do I have to move too? Robert says, well, if we still own most of the village, so you don't have to move. He's like, oh, okay. But perhaps I could open a shop. I just love how Violet, she's so unpredictable. Like, really. <laughs> oh my God, I just love when she said a thing like that because she's so funny. Then Mary and Matthew, they still talk about the letter. But Matthew says that he didn't open it and he doesn't want to read it. And Mary, well, she's like, well, she's fed up by this whole story. And so 
about this letter. For Mary, she actually read it and they're together in the bedroom. So she said that apparently from what Swires wrote, he knew the truth about Matthew and Lavinia. So, I mean, Lavinia must have written to him when she asked Matthew to call off the wedding and he didn't want it to. And when she told him that if it was honorable of him to make this kind of sacrifice, he still wants to honor his words when he was actually in love with someone else. But Matthew, he doesn't believe it. He does not want to believe it. He even says, well, maybe you wrote the letter. You're like, okay, man, calm down. Like, he thinks maybe someone has faked it. And I'm a bit angry at him for a reason. Is that, okay, he doesn't want to use it to profit from Lavinia's death and everything, to die in splendor. But I think he forgets one thing. The house has employees. And so if they sell the house, there's some people that we have to go. And we know that some don't want to be a servant all their life and stuff. But right now, those people, they need their jobs. So... I think it's not fair for them that all he thinks about is this way of life. Every time he thinks living a simpler life, we know that the world is changing and there are going to be well, less staff or more like maids who live in the village, not as a household. We know it's going to evolve. But right now, you still have this staff. What will you do with them if you sell the house? Oh, this is something I thought about. So actually, I don't believe it's selfish to want to keep it because you will need people to run it. So that means you provide employment. And it's even something that Cora said last episode when they were talking about what Isabel was doing and all these women that had to degrade themselves to survive because the war has destroyed many households. We know that a lot of houses like Downton, families like the Crawleys had to sell because they couldn't survive after the war. And so after that, you had a lot of people that didn't have work anymore because when you have a lot of these houses, I'm sure there's a lot of need of housemaids. So this whole thing, I do believe a part of me thinks that in his tantrum, because sometimes like really how Matthew is at the moment, it really feels like he's a child, like having a tantrum, like it's actually selfish. Like I understand uh, his point of view a bit, but I mean, never he thought about the stuff. All you can think about is living a sleeper life. Now, it's when even at the beginning when he, do, he didn't want him Mosley because I do have no use of it. He said, well, yeah, but the guy, it's his job and he's done nothing wrong. So you want to dismiss him just because you don't want him. You know, it's really complicated. But the thing is, he never really, he wasn't raised in this. Like it's, he's only been in it for a couple of years, you know. So it's, it's not a reflex that he has thinking about the staff. Robert or Mary, they think about them because they've been living this life forever. And so at the end, before going to bed, they're both angry. The next morning, Mary, she comes downstairs in the servant's hall. When she comes down, Anna says that she's sorry that she hasn't been up. And you see that actually Mary, she dressed herself. And you see it because her hair are not done. She still has her braid from the night before. So you see that she just wanted to come downstairs to talk to them because this is important. So she asked them if somebody posted a letter from Miss Wire. And I said, no one did. But then Daisy comes in and she asks, what was it about? And so they tell her and she says, well, I did that. And Mary, she comes straight by and like, what? Yes, I was mending the fire and we would, we talked a bit and she wrote a letter. So I posted it. Because obviously it's like, what were you doing here? Because usually you do the fire uh, before the family get, get up and when they're not here. So technically you're not supposed to talk with them unless someone is ill or they are invalid and they can't walk or I don't know, something like that. But usually, you do not talk to them because you're not supposed to be in the same room as them, in, in a sense. And so at that moment, so at first, they want to reprimand her. But why didn't you tell me? But Mary's like, never mind, Daisy, I love you. You just saved the day. She didn't say it that way. She said, I'm re- really grateful to you. Because then she says that to Matthew. She said it that Daisy posted. So Lavinia did wrote a letter. Please tell me you understand because if you find another reason to not use that money... I have to beat you about the head. And Matthew says, okay, but one condition. We don't steal Edith's thunder and we say it after wedding. She's like, well, that I can live with. Like, yes, this is such great news. And we're happy, I'm quite happy because upon me, thought it would have been nice for them to leave downtown to see really this kind of a new chapter. But it would have been really sad to leave Highclere because it's just so beautiful. And so then after the non-wedding, Robert is alone outside and then Matthew comes uh, to join him, to talk to him. I love this shot when you just see 
Robert, Matthew coming out of the house, join him. Like it feels like a painting because of this beautiful lawn and you have just a bit of the house on your right. It's just so beautiful. I love that shot. And so first they talk about Edith. We're going to talk about her after that. And then Robert, who's not, he's not deep in depression like in season two, but at that moment, he's not feeling really good. You know, with what happened at the wedding, this is not the best day of his life. He says, Meanwhile, it's time to face the business of leaving Downton. Without the wedding to hide behind, there's no reason not to get on with it and astonish the world with the extent of my wretched failure. And you see how he says that? With my wretched failure. Like, oh, I just want to hug him. But thank God Matthew has a good news because then Matthew says that Mary and he wanted to make an announcement at dinner. It said that they do not have to leave. He says, well, because he's going to accept Swire's money, he's going to give it to Robert. Robert at first said, no, you're not going to give me any money. Matthew says, yes. You don't want to leave, nor does Mary, nor do any of us, for that matter. I still won't take your money. What I will allow is for you to invest in the place. If we stay, you'll share the ownership. It'll be your house, your estate, as much as mine. We will be joint masters. But and if you won't agree, I will sell, and it'll all be your fault. I love this moment because um, I promise I, I won't take it. Matthew's like, what? Please tell me you'll take it because Mary is going to kill me if you don't. And then when he says, well, you're going to be co-owner, it's not just, since it's your money. And I literally lost, you know, maybe it's best if I'm not the only master of this because I just lost all the money, you know. Um, so I love it, the fact that they will be joined my masters because he considered Matthew as like his son. So it's, it's almost like, like sharing his house with his son. So the house that would be his after... You know, like, I love it. And that one says, and if you don't agree, I will sell and it'll all be your fault. <laughs> I love it because then it's actually a happy ending. At least they do not have to sell the house. So this is good news because, well, the wedding and stuff, that was not really a good day. So we're glad about that. So now let's talk about the wedding or the non-wedding. At the beginning of the episode, you see that everyone's preparing the house for Edith's wedding. And you see that she is glowing, like she is so happy. And her grandmother arrives and she's really happy to see her. She says, oh, granny, isn't it exciting? At my age, one must rationalize excitement. And I'm in this scene because they took off the carpet. And so to help her cross like the hall, Alfred, he wants to give her his arm. And really, he's waiting and at the end, Violet, she takes Edith home. I love when Alfred is waiting, like, you know, you don't want it. Okay. And so they, together, they go into the drawing room where Cora is, and she is arranging, arranging wedding presents. It is, she's so happy. Like, she can't believe it. Like, this is finally her wedding day. She says, Something happening in this house is actually about me. And Cora, she looks so cute. I love this picture because this is a famous picture of Cora. And she looks so pretty, like, oh. Violet asks how Anthony's doing and Edith, she says, well, he's so exciting, you know, because his life is going to start again when we get married. Violet's like, oh, great. And with Cora, they exchange a weird look, like, great, great, great. Not happy about this wedding, but anyway. And then when Cora and Robert are in her bedroom, you know, when she talks with O'Brien and she has her red dress, like the happy note dress, she says to him, you know, like, cheer up. I mean, I know you're not happy about the wedding, but the estate is not that far and she will have stuff to do. I mean, and Robert's like, yeah, but she will be a nurse. And when she will be 50, the guy will be like really old. I mean, you see, he doesn't want it. Like he was against it, but not because the guy is not nice, just because she will be a nurse a whole life. Like, yeah, great. That's a great prospect. And so then the boys are in the dining room. Tom has a dinner jacket. So they're all in white tie, but Tom has a dinner jacket. Like, whoa. Because last time he came to the house, they're like, no, I will not buy one because I will get no use of it. Actually, he got a dinner jacket. Maybe he was, he was tired of people commenting his clothes. Said, you know what? Dinner jacket would be nice. And it talked about, a bit about him, you know. Robert says to Stride, well, he's a tame revolutionary. He even says to him, we are getting used to Tom. <laughs> you will too. Because then Matthew and Tom are leaving, so they're only Anthony and Robert. And so he even says, you know, uh, we never talked since we decided to get married. Because I know 
and I understand why you were against it. And Robert's like, well, you know, there's no need to dwell on that now. You know, it's done. It was not personal. Stran says, but you know, I, I would do whatever I can to make her happy. Robert's like, yeah, yeah, I do know. And then Stran, he asks him, but are you happy about it? I'm happy Edith is happy. I'm happy you mean to keep her happy. That is quite enough happiness to be going on with. But you see Strand's look as Strand's face at that moment. It's not what you wanted to hear. And then there was a deleted scene after that one where Robert is trying to want to join the ladies into the drawing room. But Edith, she appears in the hall and she just wants to talk a bit with Strand. And just what they talk about uh, stuff, like it's not really important. But then Strand, he says, and you're going to wheel me around when I can't walk anymore. And Edith answers, Oh, please understand, I don't love you in spite of your needing to be looked after. I love you because of it. I want you to be my life's work. And I'm quite sad that they cut, especially this line, because now you realize that it's not just she wants to be with him because he likes her and he calls her lovely and all that. It's also because she wants to take care of him. And now I just remember that the last time she felt useful and she felt happy was during the war because she had something to do and she took care of the wounded soldiers because they needed her. So actually with Challenge, she's doing all that again. She's taking care of him like she took care of the soldiers. And it makes me think a bit about what Lavinia said to Matthew when she said, you know, when you were wounded, I thought it was my calling to look after you. And it's a bit like what Edith says, like she wants to take care of him. So it's almost like, I want to be useful again. But, you know, it's sad because she's not even 30. You know, because it's nice for her to want to take care of, of her husband. But this is something usually that you do when you're like at least 50. Now we're not even 30. So that's quite sad. And so then they go to the picnic and Isabel and Violet, they are in Strand's car. And <laughs> I love it because um, Strand, he says, There's never been a safer method of travel. Nor a faster one. Well. well not for everybody, bananas. And then he says to Violet, like, Edith loves the speed. She has to go very fast. And Violet asks him, oh, so you think you can keep up with her? And she's like, well, I'll try. And so then, you know, um, they talk about this house, what it was. And Violet says that her husband used it for the shooting. And then a part of that scene was cut. And she said that, well, Robert, he then gave it to a tenant because he wanted to use it more for shooting or stuff like that. And then Violet said something that is a bit of double meaning. She says, we must be practical. It's no good taking something on, however attractive it may seem, if it's not realistic in the long run. And at that, Stran, he looks a bit weird because he reacted to what she said. And then it's the picnic and Isabel is, tell is asking them how it's going. So she says, everything is settled, everything is fine. Like they look happy, it's so great and everything. And other scene that was cut, when it's time to eat, Edith, she's cutting trans meat. And he says, what I can do is like, don't be like, don't be silly. How could you? But she was really happy to cut his meat. And then when Violet, she catches Robert's eye and Stralan, he sees that. So there were a lot of moments before the wedding and not just with Robert, but moments that were cut where Stralan, he realizes that this might not be a good idea. Because he realizes that Violet and Robert are not happy about it. They're not completely against it because it feels like they have no choice to be because Edith really wants to marry him. But he realizes that maybe he might not be a good idea. And so the night before the wedding in the drawing room, you know, there's Edith saying that she knows where they're going for their honeymoon. They're going to Italy. It sounds so nice and everything. And then there's a little exchange that is really, really, really funny between Violet, Sybil and Edith when Violet says to Edith I really think you should go to bed No bride wants to look tired at her wedding It either means she's anxious or been up to no good I won't sleep a wink Tonight or tomorrow? Sybil, vulgarity is no substitute for wit Well you started it I really love this scene because I love Sybil's face but she's like well you started it Oh I love it But then wedding day Robert is with Violet in the library and I talk a bit about this whole thing and Robert tried to stay positive. He said, well, I'm glad that they hurried it so that she can be married from downtown. So that's, this is great. And Violet's like, well, I'm not. So Robert, he tells her, well, 
he is the most traditional choice, so we should, you know, stay positive. You know, that's great. And Violet, she says, Edith is beginning her life as an old man's drudge. I should not have thought a large drawing room much compensation. Why dwell on that now? Because I want the pleasure of saying I told you so. I love, love, love that because the moment she says that, Robert's face, like, what? Oh, I love it. And Edith, then the girls are in Edith's room and she's so pretty, like, she looks so beautiful. And all the girls, like, so sweet and... Like, Edith, she looks so happy, like, so nice. But then, when Violet arrives at church, Strand is here, and he looks awful. And Violet, she says to Travis, He looks as if he's waiting for a beating from the headmaster. Do you think I should reassure him? How? He's done it before, so he must be in possession of all the facts. Perhaps the first lady's travel was a difficult act to follow. Or a difficult one to repeat. Oh my God, this exchange, I absolutely love it. Especially when she says he, he's done it before, so he must be in possession of all the facts. Like, obviously, we know that he looks awful because he might start to really realize that this is a bad idea. And so when they're outside the church, Mary, she says to Edith, and I love this moment because I think it's really sweet. I know we haven't always got along and I doubt things change much in the future. But today, I wish you all the luck in the world. And this, I think, was really, really sweet. And then they go in church. And Edith, she's glowing. She's so happy. But Strand, really, he looks like he's going to the guillotine. Really, like at that moment, he's been sentenced to death. Like, it looks awful. But Edith, she, she is glowing. She looks so happy. So Mr. Travis, he starts, you know, the whole ceremony, the whole thing. And Strand, he says, I can't do this. And he kept saying that he can't do it, that it's wrong. Edith, she doesn't understand what's happening. Everyone is shocked. Like, everyone. And you see at the moment, Korashi wants to get to Edith and Violet comes there first and she says to Edith, let him go. Let him go. It's over. Let him go. And so at that moment when he leaves, everyone sees the face of everyone. So Korashi comes in and helps Edith just to with her dress and just to get out. And you see, like, Sybil, she has tears in her eyes. Even Mary, she looks shocked and absolutely like, sorry, all the servants, they look like, what is happening? This was supposed to be Edith's most beautiful day in her life. And it's just turned to the most horrendous day of her life. It's absolutely awful. But so in the end, there was no wedding. Because sadly, like O'Brien will say, Edith has been duted at the altar. So that would be my French word of the day, altar. And in French, it's hotel. And in French, you say actually like the word hotel, because in French, we say hotel. It's, you say it the same way, but it's not written the same. Hotel, the outer. It's written A-U-T-E-L, and it's masculine, so it's un hotel. It's sad because usually, you know, it's supposed to be happy. We had Mary's wedding, and it was happy, and now we had that. But yeah. So in French altar it's hotel and it's not the end because now it's also time for my music of the day and well let me just play for you and i'm going to talk about it after maybe i should have seen the sign should have So that was A Perfectly Good Heart by Taylor Swift. Yes, because, well, two episodes without Taylor Swift. So I had to put her again at some point. Yeah, I thought about it because that's exactly what happened. You know, there were signs like he kept saying, 
I'm too old for you, we shouldn't be together. And in the end, even she doesn't really understand why it's happening, why he's staying, why he would want to go. He said, but, but we happy, we're gonna be happy, right? I mean, this is really, really, really sad. And um, yeah. So then Edith, she comes in the house running and crying and everyone follows. And when she gets up the stairs and then she throw away her veil, and this shot of the veil falling down the stairs is absolutely magnificent. Really sad and heartbreaking, but is magnificent. And actually, I think it's a sad parallel to Mary coming down the stairs with her wedding dress. We didn't see Edith coming down the stairs. We saw Mary, you know, and having Carson and Robert looking at her with awe, having tears in her eyes and being so proud. And then we have the veil of Edith falling down the stairs like mary yes it was a successful wedding she got married she's happy and now edith well she didn't get married and she is wretched (laughs) and so she goes into her room she cries on her bed she take off her tiara by the way the tiara that she had was the same that mary had so again bad luck for her that's really sad then robert he says to alfred that he wants everything from the wedding gone like he wants the house back to normal and the girls, then they come to see Edith. But Edith, when she sees Mary and Sybil, she feels even worse. Because she thought, finally, I will have something too. But no, Mary is married, Sybil is married, she is pregnant, and why do I have nothing? So she wants them to leave and Cora asks them to leave. And then this scene between Cora and Edith is also one of my favorite scenes of the show. Because I said, I don't think that Cora loved Edith less than she loved the others or that she neglected her. I just said that I think that she put her attention more on Mary and Sybil than Edith. And it's also bad luck because, like I said last episode, Edith never really got into troubles. We're not, if you see since the beginning of the show, we had Mary and Pamuk and all that, and then Matthew and all this situation. And we had Sybil and Branson and, you know, all that. But Edith was always in the middle, in the shadows, like, oh, she's quite nice, you know, like, it's when Robert who said, well, we never seem to talk about her, because apparently, well, there's nothing to say, which is sad. So this moment when Cora is just with Edith to comfort her like a mother would do, I think it's a really strong scene, and it kind of makes up for all the scenes between the two of them that we never had before. Because Cora and Mary, we had a lot. And we know that Cora and Sybil, like Cora, she loves Sybil, like truly we know that. We don't need to even see a lot of scenes between the two of them, we know it. But I think this scene, it was needed. So just for that scene, I am happy that Edith didn't get married because this is a strong scene, it's one of my favorite scenes of the show. Cora, she says to her daughter. You are being tested. And do you know what they say, my darling? Being tested only makes you stronger. I don't think it's working with me. Everything is, I love it. Because Edith, she's still, you know, lying on her bed and Cora, she's like over her. Like, yeah, like kind of a protector and comforting, like just love how it's made. Like I said, I think it was needed and I'm glad we had a scene like that. For my title, I stole Cora's line, you know, that when she says that Edith is being tested. Well, that's why I put it in my title. I really, really love this scene. And then you see that all the servants are clearing everything. They put the carpet back and it's a sad parallel to the beginning of the episode where they, they took the carpet off and then they put it back and they take everything from the wedding. It's really sad. And then we have, you know, this scene with Matthew and Robert where this beautiful shot of them outside and after they talk about the money. But first Matthew, he comes to see Robert and he asks him, what should we do now? And Robert answers, there's nothing we can do beyond removing all signs of a wedding and holding her hand while she recovers. She will, of course. You see how everyone is sad because this is awful. Because just imagine, first, the whole thing is awful. You know, you have prepared for a wedding. You think it's going to be the best day of your life. Especially, I think, if you know that Edith, you know, she never had a lot of luck. Like, you know, when, when you have your two sisters, act like I say, especially when you're in a world that being married is almost what you need to be properly in society. You have your sisters that are married. One is actually even pregnant. Like, you feel it's finally your turn and it's not. So that is really hard. Then you've been literally jitted at the altar, which is very humiliating. And don't forget that she's the daughter of the Earl. 
And so he's almost, it's not, like I said, for Mary, it was almost like a, the wedding of a, like a princess. But for it is, it's been like that too. It's still the daughter of the earth, so the guy who's the, the king of this little part of the country, you know. So everyone at Downton in the village will know that. Almost everyone, maybe the county, will know that Lady Edith Crowley was cheated at the altar. So the thing itself is humiliating, but the after will be even more because everyone will know it. So it's awful. And a family at dinner, like, everyone is silent. Like, you see they're all downcast. And Karashi says to Carson, like, she doesn't want Edith to see any of the wedding food. Actually, the servants are eating a part of it. And Carson says that what's left of it, they will give it to the poor. And obviously, every time, you know, there's a really sad moment, Violet has to come in to say something a bit funny. And she says, If the poor don't want it, you can bring it over to me. And then downstairs... You see they're eating the wedding food and they're not used to it. Like, this is a feast. And they talk a bit about Edith too. And I love the whole conversation because Mrs. Papmore and Daisy are with them in the servants hall. They're eating with them. You know, it's a special occasion. And I love the whole conversation they have about Edith when Mrs. Hughes says, When I think how you've gone to such pains. Never mind me. What about the pain of that poor girl upstairs? Jilted at the altar. I don't think I could stand the shame. Then it's lucky no one's ever asked you, isn't it? Poor thing. How will she find the strength to hold up her head? I swear I'd have to run away and hide in a place where no one knew me. I think she's well out of it. How can you say that? I mean it. She's young. She's not bad looking. She could do much better than that broken down old crock. Sir Anthony may have betrayed a daughter of this house, but he still does not deserve to be addressed in that manner by a footman. Oh, I think he does, Mr Carson. Every bit of that. And worse. Well, maybe just this once. I love all this because first I love Thomas, like it's really funny what he says, <laughs> O'Brien. Then everything they says is really true. And Alfred, he's actually, obviously it's sad, but like when he says, well, I think good for her. I mean, she does better than that. And I agree, she does deserve better than that. And the family actually also kind of agree, like Robert, Violet, all that. I love it when Mr. said, no, you know what, Mr. Carson, calm down. He deserves it because this was humiliating for her. So he deserves it. And Carson's like, well, maybe just this one. Okay. Because when Strand left the church, even the servants, they were like, oh my God. And even some of them were a bit angry, like, what the hell are you doing? And so then, Anna, she comes in Edith's bedroom the next day and she asks Edith if she wants anything. Edith, she says, a different life. Like I said, this is really hard because now you know that you have to face the days after because it's not just something that happened the day and then everyone forgotten about it. No, everybody knows about it and you have to face it. I mean, it's hard. And so first Anna, she wants to bring her some breakfast uh, in her room. She says, no. I'm a useful spinster, good at helping out. That is my role. And spinsters get up for breakfast. So I want to give her that, that the next day she gets up to get on with her life. Because I don't know if I would have the strength to get up. Maybe I would have wanted to stay in my bed for a week or two. I don't know. Because you don't want to face the world. You don't want to face anything. But no, she says, you know what? I'm going to get up. So I want to give her that. that at that moment, she said, okay, if I have to face it, better face it now than just to wait the inevitable. But this is really sad. And I feel really, really, really bad for her. And when Strand said, uh, said, you know, you will be happy. I pray that you will. But you will not be with me. Well, I hope she will be happy and I hope she will find one day a man that deserves her, a man that will support her. And like Robert said to Mary, I want a good man for you. Well, I want a good man for Edith too. And hopefully she will find that man. Bananas. So that's it for this episode. Kind of heartbreaking. But in the end, they keep downtown. So we're happy. But I'm really sad for Edith. Truly, I am really, really sad for her. But we're happy that they keep downtown, so, you know. At least uh, there's one thing positive. <laughs> no, there's two positive things in this episode. Mrs. Hughes is not ill. So, hey, you know, I love when they're happy stuff. Because in two episodes, not happy stuff are going to happen, okay? So I try to stay positive and happy and take all that great positive energy to face what is going to happen next, okay? <laughs> but so, yeah, like I said, it's the end. I hope you liked it. Like usual, if you want to send me a message, feel free to wherever you want. I would love to just chat about whatever you want, literally anything. And so I will see you next Sunday. 
to talk about episode 4 of season 3 of Downton Abbey. Prepare yourself because the angst is starting to get there in the next episode. So yeah, we need to be strong together to face what will happen. Okay, So be prepared. <laughs> and until then, stay safe, take care of yourself, stay hydrated and don't forget. Vive la différence! Mm -hmm.